You're tuned to The Conversation here on Hawaii Public Radio. I'm Catherine Cruz. It has been a week since Hawaii joined 46 other attorneys general in a complaint against TikTok. It has to do with the mental health of our teens. The states are going after the company for evidence in a case looking at whether consumer protection laws were broken. We talked to Hawaii Attorney General Ann Lopez earlier this morning. We are not, by the way, involved in anything related to the spying or anything like that. This is all focused on uh, protecting our children and teens from what we're learning and what the CDC is learning about the um, increasingly negative effects of the use of social media over time and constantly throughout the day. And Tennessee started uh, its investigation under its consumer um, protection statute. And with time, more and more states have joined Tennessee to support that, which is the position that Hawaii is in. At this point, we're supporting their efforts, and their efforts at this time are to get an order from the court to require TikTok to produce the records that they're trying to obtain in their investigation. Now, I thought it was really interesting that they were using an instant messaging service so that the internal communications would would disappear. I mean, that was kind of like a red flag. Right. So, yes, it's an algorithm so that those messages disappear immediately. And one of the concerns, obviously, is, is what is contained in those messages. Also, in an investigation, when the party that we're trying to investigate is destroying, basically, records that are relevant to the investigation, we become, you know, that increases our consternation as to what it is they're destroying and what kinds of information and facts are we going to actually be able to gather if they're destroying information that we're looking for. And it's been a week since we joined uh, this uh, action. Any developments as far as you know? Right now, everything is in the early investigative stages, so I'm not sure that we'll see developments right away. We have not uh, heard from the court as to whether or not it's going to grant Tennessee's request for an order. Uh, In the meantime, the amicus brief has been circulated, and the states that wanted to join to support Tennessee have joined. And so that part of the effort is complete. Now, you know, we saw what happened during the pandemic, you know, where the use of TikTok just exploded. But then, you know, we've also seen some recent reports about what the isolation and social media has done to affect mental health uh, just in general, but in particular with our young people and, and, and girls in particular. We've seen some disheartening numbers. Uh, so how are you looking at that? That's the main driver of our participating in this this investigation. Our consumer protection statute gives us that authority to investigate companies when we believe that their conduct is having a negative effect. In this case, our children and teenagers are becoming uh, increasingly, I guess, they're becoming increasingly, I guess I'm trying to find the right word. I, let me say I don't that know, the CDC, well, addicted is certainly one of the issues. And what the CDC has discovered with that addiction is that children are, they've created a crisis in mental health for children. And that includes increased violence and sadness and suicide risk and, um, you know, increasing mental health challenges. Uh, and that that's data right now coming from the CDC. Certainly, there's ongoing investigation so that as we obtain facts from uh, TikTok uh, and compare that to what is happening uh, in the research, then we'll have an even better idea of, of how uh, these algorithms are, are causing children to become addicted to what they're viewing and sort of constantly viewing and never putting their phone down. And talk about the consumer protection laws that we have in place and and how that figures in. The uh, attorney general has the authority to investigate really anything the attorney general wants. What the consumer protection laws provide is for the attorney general to investigate 
people or entities that it believes are causing harm to the consumers in Hawaii. And consumers are everybody, all of the residents, and our friends and, and neighbors and family. And in this case, uh, and some other similar situations, TikTok has uh, come into our state and its algorithms, the way it manages its company is, we believe, causing harm um, and a crisis in behavioral health for our children and teenagers. So that is, in fact, what the consumer protection law is for, for us to be able to investigate those companies. And if we find facts that evidence uh, a negative impact on Hawaii consumers, then we will take action to prevent that from continuing. And the fact that they're using this uh, service, you know, where the messages disappear, I mean, I don't know, has there been a case that we know of involving, you know, this type of internal communication? So the, uh, the FTX case was a situation that cryptocurrency uh, company that went bankrupt. And in that bankruptcy, what was discovered was that they also had an, an algorithm that immediately destroyed all documents so that there wouldn't be any evidence of what was happening. So then with this particular case, you think this is going to be kind of a, just a long haul as we work through this? Well, I don't think anybody thinks it's going to be an easy matter to deal with because TikTok certainly uh, is fighting this. I think it'll be a long haul, but I I also don't think that's unusual when uh, we're looking at our consumer protection statutes because what's really important for us is to be able to demonstrate the harm. And that's not necessarily an easy thing to uncover. It requires a lot of evidence from the company that we're investigating, as well as, in this case, research into uh, the impact of these algorithms on children and teenagers. In our position, we we have joined them. We are not currently uh, involved in an active investigation here in Hawaii. Rather, there is an agreement that uh, as Tennessee obtains documents, assuming that the order is uh, granted, as Tennessee obtains those documents, the states who have joined in supporting Tennessee will also be able to receive the documents that Tennessee receives. And is there anything else that you can add, you know, just because uh, there are other concerns, you know, that entities have about uh, TikTok, you know, the collection of data, you know, and the use of uh, TikTok on on government devices. Are are we contemplating any type of policy about that at all? At this point, I have been completely focused on uh, just the mental health crisis among our children and teens. And that, that is, I think, our immediate focus and should remain our focus for the time being. Okay. All right. So, yeah, any change then? We'll just have to see. I mean, because I know that, you know, there 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 were concerns when all of the stuff with Twitter was happening, and I, I wasn't sure if there was any kind of policy that was going to be developed about the use of, you know, those platforms. I okay. do know that, uh, you know, the uh, governor has been very clear about the need for transparency. I know that with social media, he has particular concerns um, to uh, make sure that our agencies are all following a, a standardized social media Uh, policy, but uh, also to uh, make sure that we're using the social media properly within the government. That policy, I believe, either is or will be circulated shortly among the departments uh, for people to review. And then once that's completed, it will be able to be issued and circulated among all of the government agencies. Okay. All right. And then anything else you want to underscore? What I want to underscore is that Hawaii's consumer protection laws are very strong, and they always have been. And I think one of the hallmarks of uh, the Department of Commerce and Consumer Affairs and the Attorney General's office has been to apply that statute where we can to ensure the safety of the people of Hawaii. That was Ann Lopez, Governor Josh Green's pick for State Attorney General, talking with us about an action that nearly all of the states have filed against the company TikTok. Uh, the case focused on the uh, mental health of teens across the country. Lopez has uh, still has to be confirmed by state lawmakers, but a hearing has not yet been set.
This is The Conversation on statewide member-supported Hawaii Public Radio. Now it's time for your Backyard Quiz. Onihoa, olehua, onihau, okaua, oahu, omolokai, olanai, omau, okaholabe, ohavai. For today's Backyard Quiz, uh, we ask you about Ron Takaki, a renowned historian, author, and educator. Takaki was born in Hawaii in 1939. He was the first to write about plantation culture in Hawaii and dedicated his life to addressing racial and ethnic equity. His 1983 book, Pauhana, Plantation Life and Labor in Hawaii, was prompted by his uncle, who said to him, Hey, why you no go write a book about us? Takaki's family came from Japan in the late 1800s, and his book, Pauhana, was one of the first to document uh, that uh, not all immigrants came from Europe. Takaki later wrote the first in-depth history of Asian Americans, Strangers from a Different Shore. In 2008, he published A Different Mirror, A History of Multicultural America, a book that some have contested as being factually incorrect. Ronald Takaki grew up in Palolo Valley, attended Iolani High School, the College of Worcester, and University of California, Berkeley for his Ph.D., where he stayed on to teach. He was also an avid surfer, which was the origin of his nickname. For today's quiz, can you tell us what his childhood nickname was? Call 808-941-3689 or 877-941-3689 if you know the answer. The first one to get it right scores an HPR reusable tote bag. Support for the Backyard Quiz comes from Nairit Hawaii, which supports nonprofits providing homeless families with access to affordable housing, such as Women in Need on Kauai. NairitHawaii.com. Support local news coverage on HPR. Navy officials have announced they will open a clinic to address health issues possibly associated with jet fuel exposure. What we want to happen is for people to come in, find out what's happening to them, and work them up thoroughly so that there is a connection we can pursue it. Meanwhile, we'll be working very closely with the Department of Health and EPA to get the defueling plan approved. It's not yet approved. It's with the Department of Health and they're reviewing it. Once that's approved, we're gonna do iterative planning in partnership with the Department of Health and the EPA to find ways to move the timeline left. First, there's a technical engineering methodical and deliberate removal of the fuel and the other is active listening compassionate and empathetic conversations with our military families and the community donate today at hawaiipublicradio.org coming up on the halfway point of the legislative session. And at the start, we checked in with Tom Yamachika from the Hawaii Tax Foundation about what was on the landscape as lawmakers made tax relief a big talking point to help families deal with rising costs. This morning, we spoke with Yamachika about the bills failing and passing. At the moment, the governor's affordability plan still has some pieces left. The signature bill, which is designated Gov01, has been split into pieces, but it's passed the House. And and those three pieces are now being considered in the Senate. Uh, So it's still very much alive. There is some good prospect for 
income tax uh, bracket and and, and uh, credit relief. We heard there was lots of emphasis on you know really trying to help people who were struggling in this economy. You know everything from what child tax credits, you know, to food credits. Yes, all of those are are uh, again they're still alive, but they're in different bills right now. So the um, the one bill that had all of those items in them is now three bills. And they're separately being considered in the Senate as we speak. But it looks like there there is some consensus that you know they want to help, you know, the average working families. Well, I think all you can tell at this point is that the legislature thinks the idea is worthy enough to advance the discussion. The real crunch time happens at the end when they figure out, okay, this is how much money we have, and these are how much these bills are going to cost, and they start kind of mixing and matching and then trying to figure out what's going to pass and what's not. We've seen the economists say that, you know, we we may not get hit quite as bad as maybe uh, other states uh, on the mainland, and our tourism seems to be on track to hit close 10 million again, uh, even without the Japanese. So that certainly is still a boost in the economy. And then we're we're looking at the spending with the military. I think they just announced a $2 billion project over at Pearl Harbor. So lots of positive signs out there. Yes. And uh, right now, there's not a whole lot going on in terms of proposed tax increases. There are a few. Uh, there is, for example, a conveyance tax increase proposal that is still alive and kicking. And uh, there is the uh, road usage charge bill that is still advancing. Uh, that would, uh, at least in theory, add you know, some more dollars to people who are driving electric and other alternative fuel vehicles. Well, we had talked, you know, before the session started about the uh, GET exemption, but that doesn't look like that's going anywhere, you know, for medical services uh, and and, uh, some purchases. The governor had proposed a bill to exempt from the GET food, medicine, and uh, some medical supplies. That one is now dead for the moment uh, because it didn't pass either house. There is a bill moving for a GET exemption on certain medical services, especially when the you know the big governmental plans like Medicare, Medicaid pay for them. So that one's still alive. I don't think there are other you know very significant GET exemptions that are being considered. Governor Green did talk a lot about the green fee, you know, the visitor fee, and that's still in play. Yeah, I don't think his bill is in play, but a number of other bills containing very similar language are, such as uh, Senate Bill 304. I think there may be one more. And that would would just establish an impact fee? Yes, that's correct. What about the concern that people have about the constitutionality of that? We've taken a look at that bill. We have concerns over the constitutionality. I think the AG is satisfied that it's okay. We don't necessarily agree with the AG, but they're entitled to their opinions. I guess they're maybe a little more because they have to, you know, they're the ones who are going to fight this thing if a challenge is ever brought. How are you viewing the special credits for teachers and other categories of workers, you know, or renters tax? I mean, how are you looking at, at those kinds of things? Generally speaking, I think we have too many credits. You know, credits are basically using the tax system for something that it really wasn't designed for. I mean, the tax system is supposed to bring money into the government, not to get it back. I'm just wondering why they can't, you know, give appropriated monies to to teachers in the form of some kind of spending allowance or purchasing cards or, you know, or that kind of thing. I mean, certainly other government officials have such devices and it, it, works, for, it works for them. I also saw that the the gambling trip tax is not advancing. That was a kind of a, a head scratcher at first. I, I mean, I don't know. Did, does any other state do that? I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm I'm not aware that any other state does, and and that one also has kind of severe constitutional problems. We think at this point in time, there are a number of ideas that are being circulated at the legislature. A lot of the really bad stuff has fallen out, thank goodness. There, there, was, there were some really uh, outlandish uh, bills there. Uh, like uh, what? There was a bill to increase the amount of tax being withheld when somebody sells property from, you know, seven and a quarter percent to 75 percent of the gross purchase price. 
and uh, I, I, th- that, that was kind of unbelievable, and, and the real estate people had a call. There was a bill, like, like you mentioned, to impose a 30% tax on advertising Las Vegas and other gambling visitors at destinations that had severe problems. There was a bill to impose a 25% tax, a transient accommodations tax, on vacation rentals. As, as written, it was over and above the 10 and a quarter percent tax, you know, plus the, the 3% county tax that already exists. And we've heard uh, a lot of discussion, you know, on both sides about the uh, carbon tax or, or carbon tax credits. Uh, I know a lot of the, I guess, what you might call the polluters, uh, you know, are leery about uh, getting assessed, you know, a fee, you know, whether they're in the airline business or, you know, other uh, industries that do affect the the environment. The the carbon tax bills, they're all dead as far as we can see. It's, you know, it's possible that some some or more of them may, may be revived at some point later in the session. Uh, but so far, that hasn't happened. We've heard, you know, discussions about folks are are getting involved in carbon sequestration projects. I guess a number of companies are stepping forward to, you know, to say, hey, you know, we're being proactive uh, because I guess they don't want to see a carbon tax. Yeah, I, I I know there was I think a carbon sequestration credit bill, but it it, it did not move. Well, we'll have to see then if there are any other Franken bills that uh, emerge uh, on the on the back end of the session and see what gets traded out. Yeah, no, I mean it's it's going to be, I think, very interesting to see what happens this session in you know in, in light of the uh, the recent Supreme Court case that says you, you kind of quote unquote can't do gun and replacing. Uh, you know there are, you know that. You know, probably people have a strategy around that, and we just have to kind of see how that plays out. All right. Okay. Well, I appreciate your time. We'll just keep an eye on some of these things and see um, what gets uh, worked out in the in the end. Well, uh, we have 150 bills left that that we're tracking. Uh, the legislature's committees are starting to meet again. Mm-hmm. You know, starting today. And it's going to be kind of a repeat of the session, of the chaos that happened in the beginning of the session, but at least with a fewer number of bills. And that was Tom Yamachika of the Hawaii Tax Foundation talking with us about how major tax proposals are faring as we head into the midpoint of the legislative session. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from Ferraro Choi, committed to environmentally sustainable architecture and interior design. Supporting Hawaii Public Radio for more than 25 years, ferrarochoi.com. When banks all got conservative during the pandemic, the government gave low-interest loans to stimulate small businesses. It is now time to pay those loans back. Businesses that really haven't recovered the entirety of their business are now commencing payments on uh, loans that they took to get through a really, really uncertain time. I'm Kai Rizdal, striking midnight on the loan clock next time on Marketplace. Beginning this evening at 6, following All Things Considered. Support for HPR comes from Green Building Hawaii, providing energy and sustainability consulting services throughout the islands, assisting clients with building and energy code compliance, featuring LEED certification services. GreenBuildingHawaii.com
Our reality check today focuses on the Oahu Community Correctional Center. Honolulu Civil Beat editor Chad Blair joins us this morning. Hi, Chad. Good morning, Catherine. You know, the prison the public safety has been in uh, the headlines recently with the <laughs> drugs being smuggled in by letters. Yeah. They've had fireworks smuggled into the mailroom. Uh, but this story today uh, was by Kevin Dayton, and it has to do with a commission report. Right. And Kevin, of course, actually broke some of those stories that you just mentioned, covers prisons for us and jails, among many other things. So this commission is the Hawaii Correctional System Oversight Commission, fairly new. And what they did is they had a scheduled visit at OCCC, the jail in Kalihi. And they did indeed come up with a a new report, and it's not terribly flattering. Um, Among the things that they identified as as security problems, serious risk, was that there were actually gates that were left open at vehicle entrances. You might remember a couple years ago there was an inmate who died after escaping through one of these very uh, gates um, and, and, of course, was was shot as he was trying to do so. So these are the kind of things that the... Oversight Commission, as you might imagine, exists uh, to to oversee and to correct. Um, I can tell you, by the way, Tommy Johnson, the director over there, Public Safety, did say in terms of the gates, yep, they should be secured. They're going to work on that. Well, okay, and what else? What what were some other things that they found? <laughs> there is more. Uh, another concern by the commission is the what they described as inhumane conditions in the jail infirmary. They also mentioned in particular uh, how inmates were quarantined uh, in the shipping containers. Now, they they are modified to be cells. They do have air conditioning. But there was a concern uh, about how they communicate if uh, if there is some sort of trouble. They found out that there were actually, at least when they visited, no adult correctional officers, ACOs, uh, on the premise near these very uh, containers that hells hold four people to a to a container cells mind you and what if they bang you know on the door is anybody going to hear them how are they going to let someone know that maybe there's a medical emergency well in that regard dps has said that acos uh, are equipped with keys to the containers they do have radios they're unsure of what happened in this particular breakdown why they were not present by the containers as they should have been they are going to correct that yeah, I mean, uh, you know, that's just not a, a just a concern for the inmates' health, but a liability for taxpayers, potentially. Oh, there are. There are. And, and you know, as we all know, OCCC has is, is, long been over capacity. The numbers uh, at the time, just shortly before that February 16th visit from the commission, was that there were 1,080 uh, inmates. The capacity is 954, so, you know, almost 130 or so more people in that facility than should be. Uh, a lot of the concerns are on new admissions, recent people that were brought in, processed. Ninety percent of those estimated to be homeless, to be mentally ill, to be active drug users, maybe all three. Kevin's story certainly raises the question as to whether OCCC is the right place uh, for the for them to be held. We mentioned the inhuman conditions, inhumane conditions at the infirmary. Shouldn't they instead be going to a treatment center? I think all of this, of course... Um, falls under this larger question, what are we going to do with OCCC? When are we going to build a new facility? Halava Valley has been identified. Of course, that's the location of the medium security prison for the state. Uh, But that has been a moving target at the ledge, at the governor. Last I checked, oh, I think the estimates for a new OCCC were something like $500 million or more. I, I think there's even been an estimated as high as $1 billion to build a new facility, but that really is not going through right now. And they've already spent, I think, millions of dollars, you know, trying to come up with a design issue. Yeah, I mean, it has been years we've been talking about this thing. I mean, uh, you know, there's concerns about federal oversight because, you know, we can't do, we can't keep subjecting these inmates to overcrowded conditions. Right. And, and Kevin's been following this Oversight Commission pretty carefully and, and has good sources. And, and you know, I, I just have to add one other thing that came up. Um, I mentioned uh, the infirmary and problems there. There also appears to be uh, problems at OCCC regarding how they keep their electronic records. Uh, and that is something that was raised by this commission, which, by the way, it contains uh, is comprised of people that are experts in the field, often people that worked indirectly in the correctional system. So these are people that, that know the jails and the prisons. They know the system. And they're the ones who are very well equipped to be able to point out, hey, 
this doesn't look right. This is a problem here. Uh, and uh, my guess is this is only going to be uh, one of many visits by the Correctional Oversight uh, Commission to our facilities throughout the state. Yeah, and uh, uh, Kevin points out that one of the folks on the commission is Ted Sakai, the former director yeah, of public safety. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He, of all people, would be able to say, wait a minute, this is not being done correctly. Right. Okay. Well, thanks so much, Chad. Thanks, Catherine. We have been talking to Honolulu Civil Beat editor Chad Blair for today's Reality Check. You can read Kevin Dayton's story at civilbeat.org. Now it's time for your backyard quiz answer. For today's question, we asked you about Ronald Takaki, a public in, an, uh, who was born in 1939. He wrote uh, about both Asian and multicultural America. He was a lively, sharp figure who often appeared as a commentator on Asian America in mainstream media. He built bridges with other ethnic groups. And early on while teaching at UCLA, a crowd of young black students asked what he could possibly teach them. Takaki was always looking for ways for groups to come together, so he told him he would teach him how to write, and that writing was a powerful weapon. In his life, he wrote about President Thomas Jefferson's slaveholding, Mao Zedong's influence on the Black Panthers, and the early 20th century anti-Sikh racial violence in the Pacific Northwest. He was a historian and wrote, Memory is Political. Earlier, we asked you about Ronald Takaki's uh, nickname, Takaki preferred surfing to books, and his nickname was Ten Toes Takaki. He died in 2009 after battling uh, multiple sclerosis for many years. His legacy of telling the history of our nation's people of color uh, is said to be an early example of critical race theory. We had no winners today. We stumped you on that one. If you have an idea for a quiz, send it to talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org. Support for HPR comes from Hakuone in Kaka'ako Makai, where OHA plans to create a Hawaiian space in an urban setting, committed to building a neighborhood where all are welcome and where Hawaiian culture thrives. Hakuone.com. As a nonprofit statewide broadcaster, HPR is fortunate to have many accomplishments to share and many supporters to thank. We've compiled both in our latest annual report. You'll also get a transparent look at our financials and a sneak peek at what we have coming up this year. Get HPR's annual report at hawaiipublicradio.org slash report. When banks all got conservative during the pandemic, the government gave low interest loans to stimulate small businesses. It is now time to pay those loans back. Businesses that really haven't recovered the entirety of their business are now commencing payments on uh, loans that they took to get through a really, really uncertain time. I'm Kai Rizdal, striking midnight on the loan clock next time on Marketplace. Beginning this evening at 6, following All Things Considered. Support for HPR comes from UH Manoa's Richardson School of Law. Its Master of Laws provides specializations in environmental, international, and other fields for attorneys from the U.S. and around the world. Law.hawaii.edu. Kiahivai was one of Hawaii's most popular local music groups in the early 2000s. Uh, their debut album, Local Girls, was released in uh, 2001 and was nominated for five Nahoku Hanohano Awards, winning two. Altogether, they released five successful albums between 2001 and 2009 before members Leigh Melkett and Mailani Makainai 
uh, started on their solo career paths. Over the last 20-plus years, Melkit built her business, Kuman Math and Reading Center in Pearl City, while Makainai continued her music career and started a family. This Thursday, they will be reuniting for two sold-out shows at Blue Note Waikiki. The conversations Russell Subiano caught up with the duo in our studios this morning. When we think about the 20 kind of plus years that have passed since you both went onto your solo careers, you're both older and wiser with much more life experience. How does this time that has passed, how does that inform how you play music today? I still think performing is fairly the same for me. You know, I've gotten to play bass for other bands like Navai and Simple Souls. That was a different experience for me, but still the same as far as performing on stage or learning new music and and just being in the moment when you're with a band and playing together. That has always been the driving force for Mylenia and myself because it's fun. Like It's something that we truly enjoy doing. I mean, otherwise, we probably wouldn't do it, you know, but... So the performance aspect, I think, is a little bit the same. I know when I was 20, I wasn't very good at talking on stage. I'm still not the best at it. I think I've gotten a little better over the years because I've had to perform by myself, too, you know, doing solo gigs. So I think I grew in that aspect. But with this show, because we're going to have the whole band back together, it's really, to me, just a treat that now we get to do this again, like so many years later, and it still feels the same. So it's more nostalgic to me right now. Well, for me, I've been doing Hawaiian music so long that coming back to singing songs that we've written 20 plus years ago have proven to be more challenging than I thought it would be. You know, I kind of took for granted, like, I'll be fine because I've been singing this whole time. But it's very different. You know, I mean, Hawaiian music and, and anything else is very different from each other, even though these songs like we wrote them, you know, what's going on? Um, just the breathing and, you know, the linguistics of it. It's, it's not Hawaiian. So I have to get my mindset back into those youthful days of 20 years ago. It's like a different cadence, and then it's like, wow, was it really that high? Like, is is it really the key that we recorded it in? Right. I know, as as you age, your voice does drop, Mm -hmm. so there's that. And then when I was pregnant, I had a high-risk pregnancy, so I hadn't performed even after the, the pandemic and even after people started performing again, like, 2022, 2021-ish, I just, I couldn't start up yet again, but I started performing again maybe about six months ago, and it's taken me that long for my voice to get a little close back to to what it was. Yeah. And I know, believe me, I'm like, what is going on? Yeah. It's it's crazy because you don't realize that your vocal cords are like any other muscle in your body. Like, if you don't use it, and I mean, unless you're just born with super strong vocal cords like it does it takes a little while to warm back yeah. up so it's kind of like going back to the gym after mm-hmm. being out a while yeah, yeah. Yes. Work, work your way back yeah. up yes. yeah do you find that your songs maybe take on a different meaning too with all this new life experience over the most recent years i think about maybe your song falling from your satisfied album then i think i'm falling It's by far your most streamed song on Spotify. It's like five million, and the next one is like one million. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But even a song like Falling, does it take on a different meaning? Do you sing it in a different way or with a different emotion with all this time that has passed? It's funny that you bring that song up. I guess when it really started taking off on other radio stations besides what we were already on, like KCCN and 98.5 or whatever it was back then, we were kind of shocked like it was getting played on just every station so it was it was kind of strange i don't think we expected none of us expected that to happen and 
if I think about when I wrote the song and who I wrote the song for, like that's all just kind of a distant memory for me. And it, so I don't have that emotional connection to that person or anything. And over the years, like it almost kind of got numbed down because, you know, everybody's like, oh, sing falling, oh, sing falling, you're the one that sings falling. And, and so, I don't know. I mean, I, I love it. I love that the song did so well and we weren't expecting it. But it's still it's still the same. I mean, it's I don't sing it for anyone. You know, like I know I wrote it for somebody back in the day, but now it's a song that makes me think if I sing it, you're going to be happy. Mm. The audience will be happy because this is a song that they love. And I like being able to provide that to an audience where they leave saying, "Oh, she sang that song that I love. Like I just love that song." And so that's the meaning that that song has held for me over the years. Mm-hmm. You know, pretty much the same. I, there's songs that I've written for people, and you know, there's times that I'm looking at Lay, I'm like, I don't want to sing that song. <laughs> I try not to think about that person when I, <laughs> or that time. I don't know where my brain was. <laughs> yeah, we were very young, you know, uh-huh. like just that we're still growing up at the time, so. I don't know. It, it yeah, it's kind of weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's that, and you know, there's times that I, I still I'll write in my diary because I still like to kind of write, and it's very therapeutic for me. I like to take out my emotions and put it on a piece of paper. And you know, Lay is a very gifted songwriter, and for me, I just want to be able to continue to write and and record songs because I do love it. You know, we yeah. do enjoy it. We talk about Kiaivai recording something new again, and it's something that we're not against. We just have to, again, make time for it and, mm-hmm. and see where, where we get. Yeah. yeah. When you think about how much success you had very early on, is it something that you were hoping for or something that you expected, or did it kind of catch you off guard? I got the sense from my family here that you kind of like took the state by storm. <laughs> we it caught us off guard. Oh uh, yeah, for, you know, yeah, definitely. Winning the talent show at high school uh-huh. caught us off guard. Yeah. You know, and then being able to get a gig caught us off guard. We we wanted to just do it just to have fun. I remember when Lay brought it up as an idea. Oh, you know, you want to um, start gigging at my auntie's coffee shop because Pure Heart plays there. And I was like, Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> but people don't know this. Lay and I used to meet and just play and jam just to play and jam. Yeah. Not even with the intention of oh, one day we're gonna be on stage. Age and we're gonna do this. It we loved to just play music together, yeah. and that's something a lot of people don't really realize or understand. Like we really truly loved it just to do it, even without seeing these grand, grandeur experiences and opportunities. And then we started playing at graduation parties for mm-hmm. people and for friends and for family. And so, to me, that is like that's the origin, that's the pico, that's the root of really what helped make other things bloom. Is that we just were two friends who really just loved jamming and playing together. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I was like that dork in high school that would like carry her ukulele all over the place. Uh-huh. You know, just because <laughs> I did. I loved I loved playing it. I loved all creator boys. Mm-hmm. I idolized Troy Fernandez and just I wanted to be able to play like him and it was a fun thing to do to pass the time during recess or lunch or whatever. And then vocally I was not even close to where my Lenny was at the time in high school. I was like, yeah, we could enter the talent show, but like, I can't sing, you know, like, but she's like, no, you just gotta just do it. Just sing it and, and you know, we'll, we'll harmonize and whatever. And so before that, when I would play ukulele, it was just to play ukulele. It wasn't like I'm trying to sing and write songs and whatever in high school. It was just to play. And then when we did the talent show, I was like, why would anybody want to listen to me sing? But I know they would love to hear my Lenny. So we would we did that. And yeah, it was amazing that people wanted to hear us more after that. Because mm-hmm. I was like, I can't sing. Like, I never, I, I never thought of myself as a singer or a songwriter or anything. But that just, because of what we did together, my voice got stronger. And then the songwriting came. And it just... It all kind of just started to happen as if it was meant to be just on its own. So, yeah, it was really interesting. Like, it wasn't like a lifelong dream and, you know, like, so, yeah, it was cool. I don't think any casual fans would have have guessed that because your guys' vocals are so strong on all of your albums. I... I'm shocked that, <laughs> that, that story. I don't want to push, I don't want to beg, but 
Anybody in my family, in my extended family, would be like, you're the last person we would have ever thought to see on stage. You know, like, and because typically I'm, I'm fairly quiet, mm. I'm fairly conservative, I'm more of an introvert, and I had never sang before that. So that nobody in my family was like, oh, yeah, she's a singer and a, and a good musician. You know, it was like, oh, what? <laughs> what? Wait, she does what now? I was like, yeah. I know you mentioned earlier that the industry has changed so much. What do you think are some of the biggest differences between when you first came on the scene and what the industry looks like now? For me, social media, hands down. On one hand, I'm proud to say that we've been able to accomplish what we've been able to accomplish without social media. And on the other hand, we both haven't quite adapted to be able to, like, do social media so well that we have hundreds and thousands of followers. You know, we're even myself, even though I'm a little bit more extroverted, even my social media, I try to post, I try to, you know, stay current with that. That's a whole beast. You know, I don't have hundreds and thousands of followers. So there's, there's a difference there. I think a lot of new upcoming musicians that we see now, we get to hear about them through social media more than any other form of media. And so that to me has been the biggest thing. Money has been different because people aren't really getting paid their royalties the way that we we used to before. But then there's still opportunity that's that's being available to us out there. You know, people are touring the green you know, we've never had that in our days. I've, I've never seen a band be able to like be on tour for three months and live in a bus van and do things the way that they're doing it. So that's pretty inspiring. I think if we were in our 20s again and, you know, without cakeys and, you know, like serious relationships, maybe we would have been able like to go on to do something like that. But even that, that type of livelihood is is hard. Yeah. People don't realize how hard that is. E- even the guys will tell me, brah, at the end of three months, we're done. And I'm like, I, I get it. I get it. But, you know, they come back home and then they have to plan their next tour because that's their livelihood. Yeah. And, and I'm grateful that we both have been able to diversify so that we're not just only depending on music. Yeah. yeah, I mean the the pros and cons nowadays of like garage band and doing stuff at home and not having to you, sometimes you really don't even need the support of a record label anymore and people like that can just become stars on YouTube or whatever it may be. It's good and bad because like now you're an even smaller fish in a huge huge ocean and like I mean it's hard to set yourself apart from everybody else. You just kind of either got to be lucky or you have to have that thing that everybody wants to hear or mm-hmm. see and whatever. So the opportunities, it seems like, oh, it's so much easier now, mm-hmm. you know, but in retrospect, I mean, it, it might not really be that easy. Yeah. Because there's yeah. so many, there's right. so many out there. It's just like, social media is flooded with different kinds of talent all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even though the process has become more democratic, the pool has also become more crowded. Right. Know? We recently saw Pure Heart reunite for a show. New Kids on the Block and TLC got back together and made a stop here on their tour. Mm-hmm. Your two shows at the Blue Note this Thursday are sold out. Any chance we might be able to see Kiahivai, a few more shows, maybe go on tour around the state a little bit, possibly work on a new album? I would say that the probability of that is very high. The Blue Note thing was, for me, it was like, a, let's test the waters mm. and just kind of see what kind of response we get, and then we'll take it from there. Yeah. So the fact that it sold out fairly quickly, I think it sold out in about a month or so, was nice because we hadn't promoted it, you know, there was no lead up to it, Mm -hmm. so it was, uh, we posted a video on Instagram and Facebook and said, hey, we're going to do a show, and the response is great, so we do have to come back together as a team, start planning things and figure it out, and of course, I'm not going to lie, you know, we're working it around my Lenny being a mom yep. and working it around me being a business owner and I can't just drop everything at Kumon to do music. So there's a little bit more planning around this time. But yeah, I think it'll definitely happen. We, we definitely want to do more than just this Thursday show, yeah. for sure. 
Yeah, same. I, I pretty much agree with what Lay is saying. We're older now and we see business differently than we did 20 years ago. Uh, I'm pretty always gung-ho, but now I'm trying to be responsible <laughs> and a mom <laughs> and, and, and look at my family situation because we both have families. We both have a spouse. You know, we have people that are depending on us and waiting for us at home. And so just being respectful of those relationships are everything to us because that's what our music comes from. And we need to have our support in, a, in order to be able to go up there and serve in our gifts of music. And even though we're singing old music and old songs from 20 plus years ago, I love knowing that we still have a lifeline out there that's available to us for us to be able to create again. I think audiences are, are very excited about the possibility that you guys will do more shows of new music. Thank you so much for coming in today. I really enjoyed talking to you guys. Yeah, thank you for having us. Thank you, Russ. Mahalo. We're hearing from musicians Mailani Makainai and Leigh Melkett, better known to many Hawaiian music fans as Ke'ahivai. They were talking to HBR's Russell Subiano this morning. Uh, Ke'ahivai's two shows at the Blue Note we mentioned uh, this Thursday are completely sold out, but the duo says uh, they'll be planning some more shows in the future, and a new album could be on the horizon as well. that does it for us for this Monday. Tomorrow, uh, we'll learn about community groups housing Maui homeless cancer patients during treatments. Do you have a story idea to share with us? Call our talkback line, 808-792-8217. Miss something and want to listen back to something you heard? You can find the Conversation Podcast on Spotify, Apple, or anywhere else you tune in. I'm Catherine Cruz. We'll be back tomorrow with more of the conversation.